Today is an amazing day. I know they've all been up here hyped. I'm hyped too because this is like the one day where hundreds of millions of people will declare a similar message together that Jesus is alive, he's risen, and he is king. He is king. Hundreds of millions of people are hearing that message, proclaiming that message together today. It is the best news ever. It's news that we should get excited about. If today you woke up and you found out your mortgage was paid off, the debt that you had from your student loans was just gone. A lot of you are like, my debt has been paid. This is incredible. We have a way better debt that's been paid for us by Jesus Christ. And we need to be excited about that. It is the best news ever. And sometimes, you know, there, there's, there's a best news ever that I thought I had one time. Have you guys ever had a dream that you thought was like real and you woke up and you didn't know if it was real or not? Um, so I had a dream and I remember this, I was probably eight or nine years old. And it's a dream that a lot of you have probably had. My wife just said she has never had this dream. And I'm like, what a lame life. You've never had the dream of flying. How many of you have ever had the dream that you were flying? She said she's never had that dream before. That, like, come on. So I had this dream that I was flying. And if you've ever had this dream, usually in the dream, for some reason, you can just fly. But I remember in this dream, I had met a man, and the man taught me how to fly. So he gave me, there was a secret to humans being able to fly. And so this is the secret, and it sounds really stupid, but just go with me, okay? You had to get a balloon. You had to put it in your mouth. You had to blow up the balloon until it exploded in your face, but you had to keep your eyes open the whole entire time. So it had to explode, eyes open, and then right when it exploded, you clap your hands, and then you kind of take off like Iron Man. <laughs> and so I remember this dream. It was like vivid. I'm like, this, this, is, this is real. And so I woke up the next day, and I run across the street, and I had a friend. His name was Corey, and I remember it because he was just as weird as I was, and I could convince him to do all kinds of dumb stuff. Um, and we had another friend, and the friend, this friend had the balloons. And I said, I think I know how to fly. And for some reason, he just believed me, and we went along with this. And all of a sudden, we're blown up balloons, and balloons are, it's really hard to keep your eyes open with something exploding in your face. But we're blowing up balloons, spits flying everywhere, we're spreading meningitis, um, clapping our hands like, you know, diluted, like messed up seals, and, and we're not flying, like we're not going anywhere. But I thought I had this amazing news, and I just had to share it. Now, if for some reason, someone learned some magical like handshake, clap gesture, and you could fly, how long before everyone would be taken off into the sky? It'd be one person, and they'd be on TikTok, like, I know I usually do, like, makeup videos, but today it's flying time. And, and before you know it, everyone is taken off because it's great news. And when you have good news, you share it. It's the reason that just a small group of ordinary people, fishermen, ordinary men and women, had this incredible news that now hundreds of millions of people are discussing the event that happened that day. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's this amazing news that started with just this core nucleus of people and they just kept spreading it and spreading it and spreading it. And it's the message that we constantly talk about here at Relevant Church is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that it brings. You know, there's sometimes I hear pastors, they're like, they get excited about Easter because everybody comes to church, but they're like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta preach that same message. I'm like, that is the best message. That is the only message 
That is the message we always wrap up with. It's that Jesus is alive, that he is the king. He is risen. I'm set free. Now today, and we're continuing a series we've been calling I Am. So we want to get to know who Jesus is. And throughout scripture, Jesus says straight up, here's who I am. And we've been taking a look at these different statements that Jesus made about himself so that we can learn who he is. Um, We've taken a look at Jesus being, he says, I am the bread, I am the light, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I am the vine, I'm the great shepherd. And today we're going to take a look at one that fits in perfectly with Resurrection Sunday today. But before we jump in, let's turn to John chapter 11. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And before we jump in though, let's pray. God, I pray today that you would just enable me to preach a message that comes straight from you, God, that that the heart's and the, the ears that are hearing, God, will be attentive to your voice, God, not to mine, but to yours. God, I pray that you would just fill this place, fill this place with your presence, with your power and your people. God, we surrender and submit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So in John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Interesting note about verse 2. That actually happens the next chapter. It actually happens after God, after Jesus does this incredible miracle. But John wants to remind us that, you know what? Something's about to happen that's incredible and you still got to worship. Like there's worship that happens after miracles. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, Jesus loved to go to this little place just outside of Jerusalem. And this this group of people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, he would spend time with them. Um, They were friends. They would, I'm sure, enjoy meals together, share stories together. And these are people, it says that he loved. Um, Right there, that last verse, it says that he loved these people. And all of a sudden, Lazarus gets sick. And it's a sickness that's obviously overwhelmed the family, and they now don't know what to do. And so what they do is they know, hey, we've got a friend who's a healer. We've got a friend that we can go to, that we've seen him over and over heal. And so I love how she phrases it. She says, the one you love, remind him it's the one you love. You know, sometimes we, we try to like convince people of things. And she's like, just remember, Jesus, you love him. Go send word that he's sick. And he can come back and he can do that healing thing that we've seen him do so many other times. So they send the message. Jesus loves these people. This, your friend that you love is sick. And the name Lazarus, it actually literally means the one who God helps. So as we read this, everything's adding up like this is, this is going to go wonderfully. Jesus is going to help his sick friend and, and we're going to just see a, a great little miracle here. So everything's adding up and then you get to the next verse. And here's, I think, where some of you guys may have walked in here today. It seems like everything was heading in a, one direction and then all of a sudden, uh-uh. You're like, wait, what happened? We were going this way and all of a sudden it just... It's a change in sudden momentum, and you don't know why. So verse 6 says this. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait, what? 
I thought he loved them. It says, so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days. It doesn't say, so when he heard he was sick, it took two days to get back. It doesn't say, so when he heard he was sick, he was already doing other things for a couple. No, it just says, when he heard he was sick, he stayed. Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. If you love them, why aren't you rushing to their side? What is going on? Jesus said, I'm going to do something to bring God glory. I'm going to do something that's going to bring God glory. And I want you to just underline that and take a note of that, that, that section that says two more days. Two more days. He just stays for two more days. You know one of the worst jobs in the world? I know they didn't have this job, but what if you had to be like the, the representative, like the PR guy, the spokesperson for Jesus? Because Jesus said crazy things sometimes. He did stuff that didn't make a whole lot of sense. If you had to be the person that came out and said, well, actually, and you had to speak for this, how would you justify Jesus just hearing his friend is sick and dying and just like, I need to stay here a couple more days? What? What? I, I, don't, I don't get that. You've received hospitality. These are your friends, and you're just going to stay where you are for two more days. I was talking to my daughter yesterday. I said, what's it called? Um, when somebody texts you and doesn't respond. And she goes, you mean what you do all the time? And I said, that's really rude. <laughs> and she goes, it's, you know, it's, you left them on read, you left them on delivered. That's what it's called. Like you sent a message and the person didn't message back. How many of you guys hate being left on read? You know what's even worse? Is when you text someone and then all of a sudden you see the little bubbles and then the bubbles go away. You're like, you were writing me a message back. What happened? And then the bubbles pop up again. And then they go away. And then they just don't respond. And you're like, I thought we were in communication. And then you just left me on red. And the truth is, Martha probably felt left on red. All of a sudden, the messenger that she sent to go give this message to Jesus, imagine this. He comes back. He comes back. And who's not with him? Jesus. And I'm sure she's thinking, did he not, did you not find him? Where is he at? You, you're, you didn't bring him. You didn't do what I told you to do. And I'm sure the messenger said, well, I told him and then I left. Martha, I'm sure, felt like she was just completely left on red. And, and there's times when maybe you felt that left on red feeling by Jesus. Maybe you've prayed a prayer and you You've sought God for something, and it felt like the moment that prayer left your mouth, it felt like it just went nowhere. It just bounced back at you like a bouncy ball. It just, and you're like, God, are we in communication still? What exactly is going on? Jesus, you know, and, and there's lots of different things. For Martha, it was, my brother is sick. For you, it might be, God, I'm just depressed. God, I don't know what to do with, with this financial situation that I'm in. God, I don't, know, I don't know the answer to this decision. Can you please just help me out? My kids are crazy or my husband's crazy. That's my wife's prayer, I think. But you pray this prayer and it feels like you're just not heard. But Jesus hears you. He just doesn't always move at our pace. In this passage, Jesus left them on red and it's, here's why. It says, because he loved them. So verse six flows directly out of verse five and verse five says he loved them and then the next verse says he decided to stay. He decided to stay. 
And when I read this, I honestly don't like this. Because I don't like this. I want the Jesus who does what I want, when I want, how I want. I say that and you guys look at me like I'm crazy because y'all think that too sometimes. Otherwise, you wouldn't be praying those vending machine type of prayers. The ones where, hey, if I pray this, God should do this. God is not a vending machine or a genie that he just wishes, grants our wishes whenever we command him to. You can't push the buttons and get the snickers of blessings. That's just not how God works. But a lot of us, that's how our faith background, if you've got any faith background in following Jesus, maybe that's how you were brought up. It's the if-then type of faith. If I pray this, then this thing happens. If I read, study, or act this way, then this thing happens. If I give, then I'll be blessed. And you're blessed just because you have Jesus. The if-then always will end up letting you down because that's not the way that God works. God's priority is his glory and your salvation. So if you're looking for a vending machine type of God, man, this isn't the Jesus that we serve. So our faith brings God glory, not to simply get what we want, but that the work and the love of God might be lifted up. That might be displayed in all of its power. But sometimes it's going to feel like God has completely left us just in a silent place and we're like, where is he? Well, let me remind you of a couple things that I've learned in my life and all throughout scripture I've seen time and time again. Sometimes in the silence, God is trying to pull us close to him. You guys have been in a conversation when somebody gets a little quieter and you lean in a little bit more? Sometimes in the silence, God is trying to pull us close. Other times, in the silence, God is preparing to shout the loudest shout of love in your life. And it feels like it's silent, but all of a sudden, the, just an amazing work of God is going to shout love into your life. Either way, silence is not a license for us to turn our back on God. It's not a license for us to turn our backs on Jesus. It's an invitation to move closer to him. If you feel like you haven't heard from God for a while or he's not just showing up in your life the way that you wanted, man, that's not an invitation to be like, well, skip this. That's an invitation to move closer to him. Verse seven. And then Jesus, and then he said to his disciples, let us get back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you And yet you want to go back? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So I love how Jesus has to just break it down to them real, real simple. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, which in itself is incredible because Jesus is still at a distance from his friend and he knows what his friend has gone through. He knows that Lazarus has passed away. So even when you feel like Jesus is at a distance from your life, he still knows what you're going through. But we, we look at this, this response of the, the disciples and they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Don't you know sleep helps when you're sick? And we laugh at it and we like, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But honestly, what they were doing is they were putting their belief and trust in Jesus because just a few verses earlier in verse four, look at what Jesus said. 
He said, this will not end in death. And so them saying, well, he must just be sick. And now all of a sudden Jesus saying he's died. I'm sure that those two things don't exactly make sense to them. But there's a key word in verse four, and it's this word, end. Yes, Lazarus died, but Jesus said it will not end in death. Here's what this means. When Jesus is involved, even death is not the end. When Jesus is involved, death is not the end. So to them, they may have been a little bit confused, but Jesus is about to say, watch what I can do. Even death is not the end when I'm involved. I've done this pastoring thing long enough to know that some of you have walked in here dead today. And yes, you still are breathing and your blood's pumping, but there's something in your life maybe that is dead. Honestly, some of you may have a marriage that you've walked in here and you feel like your marriage is dead. It may be some kind of other relationship with an estranged child or a friend. There may be other things. You may have had a a hope and a dream. Maybe you want to start a business or you want to finish a degree. And you know what? It's been so long that that dream has been just dead and buried and it feels completely dead. For some of you guys, it might be your faith. Honestly, your belief and your trust in Jesus may feel dead. And the only reason you're here is because it's Easter Sunday and it's what you do. Easter Sunday, you come to church, but instead your faith may feel like it's dead. Let me reiterate the message of Jesus. It will not end in death. It doesn't have to end in death. Death is not the ending. Spoiler alert, Lazarus raises from the dead. We're going to get there, but that... We have a Jesus who says, that thing that I gave you does not have to end in death. Death is not the ending. It's just an opportunity for Jesus to show up and do something incredible. Jesus is the one who gets to declare, he's the alpha, he's the omega, which means he's the beginning, he's the end. He's the one that gets to put a stamp on something. And that stamp of death, he's saying, nah, I don't accept that type of a stamp. He's the resurrection. He's the life. Here's where he says it want us to skip down. They have this conversation. Jesus comes back. Martha come, runs out to meet him and they have this conversation and Martha is faithful, but she's also a little bit frustrated because she's like, why didn't you show up when you were supposed to? But at the same time, she believes that Jesus is still good. And she's got this confusion of timelines. And so Jesus has to bring her into the present moment. And in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So here's what I want us to understand. The resurrection isn't just an event. So we celebrate on Easter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that event, but the resurrection isn't just an event. It's who Jesus is. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And honestly, the enemy maybe has been trying to keep you by the graveside of something, And Jesus is saying, I'm here to show you that I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And even now, that's who I am. This isn't a past thing. This is who Jesus is even now. Even now, he is the life. Even now, he is love to you. Even now, he is holy. Even now, he is good. Even now, whatever you're going through does not have to end in death. We're going to run out of time, so I'm going to skip down. Let's go to verse 33. Mary comes out. 
The other one, she'd been sitting in the home, it says, and some people give her shade for that, but honestly, she was mourning, and that was what they're supposed to do, stay in the house. But she comes out because Jesus says, I want to see her. So now Mary and Martha are out there. Jesus is meeting with them. And verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 33, it says these words, he was deeply moved and troubled. And we, we could read that and think it simply means that he was sad, like he, he, he felt the, the mourning of the loss. But that is not what that word means. It, it's a word that suggests that he was angered. He was outraged, not at them, but our God gets outraged at death. He sees death as an enemy. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, says the last enemy to be destroyed by Jesus is death. There is no question that death is now a normal part of our existence here on this earth. But that does not mean that Jesus accepts that. That does not mean that we have to accept that and be okay with that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, which means there's no death in him or the people that follow him. So Jesus came to put death in its proper place, defeated. Then verse 35, here's your verse of the day when you went to church, you learned it, Jesus wept, okay? It's that short, short verse. Everybody makes a joke of it, that it's the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept, and it's this tiny, tiny verse, but man, it, there's so much power in this, that Jesus meets us where we are, he empathizes with us in the moment, he's there with us, he feels our emotions. We sang this song, that he wept, he bled, like he was fully human in the moment with us. He knows what he's about to do, and he still takes a moment, and he wept. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he'd been another for four days. So Jesus, he came to the tomb and found out that Lazarus has been in there for four days. And there's a significance to this number. See, this gospel would have been written towards and first read by Jewish um, followers. And the Jews had this kind of superstitious custom that for three days, kind of the soul hovered around the body. Obviously, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture, but they had, they had this, this kind of thought and feeling. So for Jesus to come on the fourth day, when even that superstitious would have, superstition would have been gone, he was saying, I'm going to do something that even defies what your expectations are. That the only person that can then get credit and glory for this is me. And God may be up to something in your life that only he can get the credit for. And it may not be working on your timeline, but he's saying, I don't want luck to get credit I don't want just your hard work and effort to get credit. I'm going to be the one that gets the credit and the glory for what I'm about to do. So he walked up to that tomb and think about this. And that is I'll probably, I mean, four days. He probably, there, was, there may have been some stench. Who knows exactly what was going on there? Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There's that word again. And our, our part in this is to believe in who Jesus is. 
So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus didn't simply claim to be the resurrection and the life. He showed us that he is the resurrection and the life. And he came to partner with us in that. Before we jump to the end, there's an there's a interesting just little thing that happens here at the very, very end. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some of you guys, Jesus, God wants to do something incredible in your life and he wants to bring what you thought was dead back to life. Maybe it's your faith, maybe it's a marriage, who knows what it is. But the thing is, a lot of times when we come back to life, we're still wrapped up in those grave clothes. We still have the bondage of past hurt and pain that we're wrapped up in. And Jesus... He's not the one that goes and unwraps those things. He says to them to go do it. This is the importance of getting around a group of, just a group of believers, of faithful believers. That's why it's important to get planted in a church, to be in a group. Because even when you come back to life, there's things and there's stuff that you've got to get unbound and unwrapped for. And Jesus asked them to go do it. If you're a follower of Christ and maybe you're like, man, I'm doing all right. You have a mission to go help unwrap other people that are coming back to life. Jesus put them even then on mission. Hey, you guys, that person's alive again. Go unwrap them. Every week there are people that are coming into this church that are finding new life. And if we're followers of Christ, we got to be there and be like, okay, man, I got stuff that needs to be taken off. You got stuff to me. Let's, let's work together. Let's unwrap. But Jesus, his voice pierced through the silence of death and awaken Lazarus to new life. He showed that he has the final word over death. And because of that is why we can have hope. And hope, not in because he can raise Lazarus, but hope because he is the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Our hope is not rooted in the resurrection of Lazarus. Our hope is is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because here's what happened. Not long after this miracle, Jesus once again left his friends on red. He was put on a cross, gave his life freely for us, and they put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone in front of it. And they felt like it was, it was lost. But this time would be different because Jesus didn't need somebody else to move the stone away. Jesus didn't need somebody else to shout at the tomb. Jesus didn't need somebody else to unwrap the grave clothes. He folded them up. The stone was moved. He walked away because he is the resurrection. He's our king. He is alive. And that's what he wants for you today. And that's what he's saying to some of you today. You walked in here dead and he's saying, live. Would you live? Live, just live. That's what he wants from you today. He wants new life. He wants you to live.